Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. If you are here for the first time, I will tell you again that we are privileged to have you in worship with us. Welcome to Vine Community Church. Um, We are glad that you are here this morning. We are in the middle of a little three-week series, right in the middle of it, week two. In the middle of this little three-week series that we just kind of do every year about this time as October draws to a close and November stops, we kind of pause wherever we are if we're in something else, and we just happen to have wrapped up Ephesians this year, and we pause for a moment and we look at our life as a church and we say, who are we and who do we believe that God is calling us to become. We sort of do a little self-examination. It's an important time of the year for us. Uh, uh, Basically, in a couple of weeks, uh, the 21st of November, our church will be like 12 years old, which is just staggering, number one, if you were a part of this thing from the beginning, that people still come and want to do this with us. But two, it's just such a big part of our story. And for for some of you, that's a huge deal. For some of you, it doesn't matter at all. But uh, it matters to a lot of us because it shows a picture of God's incredible faithfulness that we never dreamed that this is something that God would do, much less that he would continue to do. And and so it's an important time of year. And every year we pause and we say, are we really still becoming the church that God's calling us to become? How do we handle our lives, our time, our resources? Like, are we doing the things that we need to be doing? And so we do a little pause and we examine that. And we're kind of doing that this year by talking about the idea of wisdom, that we believe that we are called, and rightly so, all of us as believers are called to be people who are biblically wise, like truly biblically wise. And we've explored that definition a little bit to be this understanding that a wise person or a biblically wise person is someone who lives in right relationship or in harmony with God and his redemptive work in the world. That's basically what biblical wisdom means. It doesn't mean that you're super smart or that you have this kind of great insight into people's lives. What biblical wisdom means from, the, from all throughout scripture is that you are a person who wants to live in harmony with God and his redemptive work, meaning that you trust God over your own self, that you believe that God knows what he's doing and that his purposes in the work are valid and you want to join him in that and that you want your heart to beat in harmony with the heartbeat of God. That's what biblical wisdom is. It basically says, God, I defer to you. I trust you. Where you are at work, I want to be at work. And so we're exploring this idea of church, this lens of biblical wisdom. And last week we talked about it um, as being a, a people that want to truly trust the Lord, like biblically wise people trust the Lord. And we're doing this whole thing through this one little chapter in the book of Proverbs, right? And it's a great, incredible book. It's in this little middle section of scripture called the wisdom books. And there's five of them, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. They're all part of the wisdom literature. And they're written really differently than all the other books in the Old Testament. A lot of the other books in the Old Testament are written from a historian's perspective, but the wisdom books are written from a pastoral perspective. They look at Israel and they examine Israel's relationship to the Father and the relationship to the world and relationship to sin, and they explore their questions and their prayers and their heartbeat and their brokenness, and they're just deep and they're real. And so these wisdom books are powerful, and Proverbs is this incredible collection, this curated collection of just brilliance that was sewn together by Solomon. A lot of it he wrote, a lot of it he curated over generations, but it's a book that's put together that basically explores what it means to be people that have a right relationship with God. 
And the book itself, the first three chapters are incredibly uh, pastoral, and the last two chapters are incredibly pastoral. And the, the middle section are these great little thoughts or ideas about what a person who has a right relationship with the Lord, who's in harmony with the Lord, how they live and what they do. And it talks about moral uprightness and fighting sin and all these kind of great things. But those first three chapters are powerful because they're pastoral. And so we started this process by looking at chapter 3, which is a great exploration of this idea of wisdom and what, our, of what Solomon, or the curator of this book, calls lady wisdom, right? This brilliance of chasing a life that pursues God. We talked about this wisdom life as someone that fully trusts the Lord. So we explored last week. I trust the Lord with all my heart. I know my relationship to his word, and I trust him. I believe him. I, I trust him beyond my own understanding. And we talked about this idea of fearing God, right? This idea of worship and reverence, that a right person who's in right relationship with the Lord has this trust relationship with God that says, I believe you. I trust you fully, even over my own understanding. Well, this morning we're going to be exploring this idea of wisdom through the lens of, of uh, honor. Like, what does it mean to truly honor the way of the Lord? If the Lord calls us to something, to a right relationship with material things, to a right relationship with money, to a right relationship with people, like, how do we honor that? What does that truly look like? Well, luckily enough, our uh, curator in the book of Psalm, book of uh, uh, Proverbs is going to tell us exactly what that looks like. And so if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at the middle sections. Last week we went 1 through 8. This morning we're going to go 9 through 20. Uh, we're going to take a few bigger swaths at it, but we're going to talk about this idea of a wise person, a biblically wise person, honors the way of the Lord. So if you're here with us again for the first time, we're glad you're here. We're going to talk about our relationship to the world around us and how we can honor God with our hearts and lives this morning. And So let's turn there, and then we will uh, kind of dive into that text and explore it this morning. Lord, what a privilege to open your word. What a privilege it is to be in this place. Not this particular place, but just a place where we can gather with other believers. Lord, we truly know and understand that this is a, something that a lot of the world doesn't get to do. That We have uh, partners all over the world that don't have the freedom to gather together and worship. Um, yet we treat this thing like it's a badge of convenience sometimes. And the truth is, it's an honor to sit with other believers that uh, trust you and that have put their heart and their, their life behind your word. And we worship together and, and we open your word together and we explore it. And um, Lord, this is the great call of the church. So, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take it lightly this morning, that we would take this encounter with your word seriously, that we would open our hearts to your teaching, or that we wouldn't see this as just something we're trying to, you know, just do because it's Sunday morning. But this is an opportunity to interact with the living God, the God that formed the stars and breathed life into our very lungs wants to speak to us this morning through his word. So, Lord, we take that seriously. Take a moment in your own heart as you sit here and just ask the Lord to teach you, whatever that might mean or look like. Lord, just, just teach me. Give me an open heart. Give me a renewed perspective. Let my attention be on your word. Just teach my heart. Just whisper that to the Lord this morning. Take a moment as we do each Sunday and pray for somebody around you. Uh, we say this all the time. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you care about the spiritual growth of the people around you. Maybe it's your husband or your wife or your children, or maybe it's a stranger. Uh, maybe you're here for the first time and this seems kind of weird, but just give it a try. Just say, Lord, move in their life. Pray for the community. Pray for the people around you.
Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. We release our hearts. We recognize that we have built up walls of frustration and resentment and hostility towards you and towards other people. We readily admit that, but we ask you to remove it. Lord, we ask you to uh, penetrate our hearts, free us from those things so that we might have a right relationship with you and the world around us, that our heart would beat in harmony with yours. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So last week, right, we explored this idea of trust. Trusting that God's word is true and real and having a right relationship with it. Trusting the Lord with all of our heart and not on our own understanding. We explored what that looked like and we talked about this idea of fearing the Lord. Well, our next move as our, as our kind of curator of these, these great wisdom kind of thoughts draws us from trusting into this idea of honoring. So what does it look like or mean to honor something? Well, the simple explanation is honoring means that we give something the highest and most important place in our life. So like when we honor someone, we give them a seat of importance, of value, a place of, of, a, of, a, of a hierarchy of sins that says you deserve this place of special importance. So when we honor the way of the Lord, essentially that's all we're doing. We're saying that God, your way and your desires, they take a place of value and importance in my life that above all else. So when we honor the Lord, basically we're saying, God, you get the place of, of value and honor in my life. I don't get it. The world doesn't get it. Material things don't get it. People don't get it. You get it. When I honor your way, I say, you deserve the most important and valuable place in my life, and therefore all I do is place you at that head seat, that place of value and importance. So when we talk about honor, that's what we're referring to. We're not just saying, oh, God, you're great. We're saying, God, you're great, and you get this place in my heart and life. And the, the, our author here is going to push us to a place of saying, well, what does it look like to truly honor the Lord? We can say it with our, our mouths, but what does it mean to truly give your life there? And I find this to be sort of the crux of a lot of our struggles as followers of Christ is that we can say a lot of things with our lips. God, I love you. God, I honor you. Jesus, you are Lord. But those things mean something very different when we have to actually put them into practice in our life. I can say Jesus is Lord and very much not treat him as my Lord, right? I can say, God, I honor you and very much not give him the place of value and importance in my life. Choose myself. I can say, God, I trust you, but I can very much only trust God when every other option is out, right? I can trust God with part of my life, for example. Well, we're going to look this morning at what it means to fully honor the Lord, both with our life, our hearts, relationships, and our resources. So let's take a look at those middle verses there in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at, um, let's start in verse 9, and we'll go down and kind of break them out a little bit this morning. But let's take a look at them together. So verse 9, chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, then your uh, barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not repent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she, Lady Wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields more returns than gold. She, again, Lady Wisdom, is more precious than rubles. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is at her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. 
Her ways are pleasant ways, and her paths are those of peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who lay hold of her will be blessed. By wisdom the Lord has laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he has set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the depths were divided, and the clouds let the drops of dew fall. Now, there's a lot of words there, right? But we're doing a lot of verses, which is, uh, but we're going to break them down because while that sounds great, right? Like, what does it truly mean at the end of the day to honor the Lord? Like, what does that look like? What is that picture? And it's really powerful you begin to think about it. So if, if truly living as someone that has, that has heart beats in harmony with the heartbeat of God, that is in harmony with God's, God's relationship to the world, with our creator, and in harmony with God's own heartbeat, right? If that is what wisdom looks like, then to truly trust God means that, God, I believe that I want my life to beat in harmony with yours, and I believe that you are truly God, and I put my trust in you. So if, if this idea of trusting God is about being in harmony with God and with his created order, then the idea of honoring God begins in that same place. So what does it mean to honor God or to have our lives beat in harmony with his? Well, it means that we have to have not only a right relationship with our creator, God, like we talked about last week, we have to have a right relationship with his created order or with things, material things. And that's where our author starts out. He says, if you're going to live as a person who is biblically wise, who honors the way of the Lord, you have to have a correct relationship with material things. And a lot of us, this is our big, giant struggle, right? We struggle with the material world. So what does the the author say here? He says this in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of your crops, then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and you will brim over with your vats will brim over with new wine. <clears throat> okay. In order to really grasp this, we have to understand a really important principle that's going to lead us to two other really important principles. And the first one I've alluded to a lot. I think I alluded to it last week, and I've talked about it years for years and years and years. And the first principle we have to understand to have a correct relationship with material things is this idea. And it will revolutionize your life if you ever fully grasp it, ever fully believe it. But basically it's this, that my life and everything I have belongs to the Lord. So as a follower of Christ, it is actually your heartbeat to recognize that when you surrendered your life to Jesus, as Paul says, that when you died and you became a new creation, that you are now hidden in Christ, that he is you and you are in him, and therefore your entire life belongs to the Lord. So if we begin to recognize that as followers of Christ, everything that I have is not mine, but it all belongs to the Lord, including my family, my wife, my children, my stuff, my things, these aren't things that belong to me. But that as a follower of Christ, everything I have fully and truly belongs to the Lord. So in order to have a right relationship with material things, we have to get out of our head the understanding that these are mine. And therefore, I need to protect them and hold on to them at all costs. Or I lose my identity without them. Or these define who I am because they belong to me. As followers of Christ, none of these things actually ever belong to us. They are the Lord's. Your life is the Lord's, your money is the Lord's, your business is the Lord's, your children are the Lord's. Like, it is a radical concept to understand, but it's really, really freeing if you do. What that means is that these aren't your things to store and hoard, they're your things to rightly give away. You become a steward of God's resources as opposed to a holder of all of your own. 
The world will say, seize your things, protect your things, hold your things. That is who you are. It's what defines you. Make sure you grasp them and hold on to them with all your might. And so when we struggle with our financial world in the church, it's because we're afraid the church and the Lord is trying to pry these things out of our hands. It's a broken relationship with material things. The principle is, God, this is all yours anyway. The fact that you have blessed me with any of it is amazing. The fact that you've given me a family or you've given me the opportunity to drive this car, you've given me resources at all is because you are just so good. And therefore, these are yours. What do you want me to do with them? What do you want me to do with my children? How do you want me to raise them and and equip them? What do you want me to do with these resources? How can we bless the people around us? I'm not just talking about giving all your stuff away, but I'm talking about the start of having a right relationship that gets to say, how can I best impact the world around me? How can we use what we have to glorify and honor the Lord? God, we get to steward what you give. So instead of seeing giving as something I have to do, giving becomes something I get to do. And it's not just money, it's time, right? Instead of your time being so precious and so something you have to hoard and hang on to, it's something that you want to give away. Like you see the value in saying, I want to sit with you. I want to give you that window. Instead of being too busy for your children, you realize how limited that window is and you say, God has given me this window to give my time to you. So this principle is really important, and it feeds into the next two that come right out of this kind of verse, right? So we have to grasp that first, because everything else, if we don't grasp that, it's just, it's like chasing the wind. It's meaningless at this point in time. But we grasp that, and it feeds into these two other pieces. And, this, and, our, and our verse there talks about it, right? He basically says that, we, tr- that we, we honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruit of your crops. You know what that means? The author, Solomon, is basically saying here, he's saying, look, when it comes to having a right right relationship with stuff, God gets the first and God gets the best. Period. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your crops, right? Basically what he's saying is, when you harvest, God gets the first and the best. When you understand that your stuff belongs to the Lord anyway, this principle becomes a natural following point, which says, okay, so Lord, if this all belongs to you, then you get the first and the best of my life and my time and my resources. God doesn't usually get that in our lives, right? God gets all the leftovers all the time. He gets the leftovers of your time. He gets the 10-minute, 5-minute, 30-second window at the end of the day, which you're so beat down and tired that you kind of pray before you go to bed. God gets the worst of our time often. God gets the worst of our resources, right? He gets what's left over. Once we've paid all the bills, done all the things, God gets whatever there is. And I get this question all the time. Treb, should we tithe biblically? Are we required to give 10%? I actually got it this week. And my, my, my answer is always this. It's a broken question. You're asking the wrong question. Because what you're asking is, am I, am I legalistically obligated to give 10% of all that we have to the Lord? Well, if you think about those principles, it's a broken question because it's not yours anyway. It's God's. And two, you're asking, do I have to? Instead of, do I get to? You see the broken relationship we have with material things? I don't care if you tithe or not, what you define as 10%. All that's between you and the Lord. It's the heart that's broken there. The question I always return is, hey, I don't care what you give as long as it's the first and the best. You don't have to give it to the church. Give it away. Give God your first and best. It's his anyway. And do it with this attitude that says, God, I want to. 
Like, I want to give you the first and the best. You should want to give away your first and best, and not just directly to the Lord, like, but to the things that matter to the Lord. I want to give the first and the best of my life to my wife and children. Like, I want them to not get what's left over after I'm beat up at work and I come home tired and life has been just pounding me. And so they get whatever attitude, frustration, struggle, resentment, they get that. Like, does my wife get my first and best? Probably never. But she should because it matters to the Lord. And the things that matter to God should matter to us. So the idea of living in this place of honoring the way of the Lord means that, God, your way right, which is this all belongs to you, you get the first and the best, it takes the place of importance and prominence in my life. I want to give the things that matter to you my first and my best. So it's not a question of do I have to or should I, it's a question of do I get to? Like how do we look at our life and make sure that the people and the things that matter to the Lord, they go first? How do you come home at the end of the day beat down tired, not giving your leftovers to the people that matter? Well, it's about creating a correct and right relationship with material things. And I'll say it again. I've said it a thousand times. This church, this is not a sermon about giving the church your money. I don't want a single dollar of yours, period. That's true. I want you to give to the Lord. Wherever that goes, whatever that looks like, the Lord has taken care of this community for 12 years with and without you. He'll do it. He's going to continue to do it. I want you to be at a place where your relationship with the Lord is so right that you and your wife, or just maybe it's just you, you get to look at your resources and your time and your heart and say, how do we serve? We've been coming to this church or this place for seven years and we've never served. Like, how do I give the church, you, the people around me, my children, how do I give them my best? Because I've shortchanged a lot of people in my life, Lord, and I've shortchanged you. So the first principle of being honoring to the Lord and the ways of the Lord is saying, God, my stuff and my life belong to you, and you get the first and you get the best. Now, this is the problem. This is the real problem. The second part of this is, is going to be the problem because this is where God begins to correct. And most of us hate this. Listen to what the, the author says in our next part. Point. He says this, verse 10 and 11, all right, or 11 and 12. My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So let's say, for example, you are not giving God your first and best. I am not. I doubt that you are. It's a great challenge of our lives as followers of Christ. It doesn't mean we don't want to, but it means we're probably not excelling in that area. So let's say we're not. We don't have a right relationship with material things. What does our author say God begins to do to those he loves? God begins to correct. He begins to rebuke. He begins to discipline. And we hate it. We hate it. Part of honoring the Lord is basically understanding this, that I say to the Lord, I love you and I trust you as my heavenly Father. So not only am I saying to the Lord, Lord, you get the first and the best, but I get to say, God, I love you and I trust you as my heavenly Father. And this begins to have to explore a definition of what does that truly mean? What does it mean to have a heavenly perfect Father, right? Now, for a lot of us, that's a good definition. We look at our earthly Father and we say, I had a great relationship with my dad. He was a good man. He took care of our family. He was always there. That's great for a lot of us. For a lot of us, that's not our story. 
For a lot of us, our story, when we talk about our earthly father, is one of uh, absentee or aloof or too busy or it wasn't perfect or maybe it was violent or some other tragedy. Even in our Christian circles and our Christian families, just the idea of a father is not always a good one. Dad is often selfish or absent or missing or whatever. It's not easy to be a dad. It's not easy to be a mom. It's not easy to parent, but certainly not easy. And so a lot of us have broken relationships because we lay uh, over our relationship with our father, our understanding of that word from our earthly relationship with a broken human. But what we learn here in Scripture is that God is actually the perfect, almighty, heavenly father. And that means a lot of things, right? It can mean rule. It can mean uh, protection. But really, I think what our, our, our author's getting to is it, it means tenderness and compassion here. But it doesn't mean letting our brokenness just exist. So God wants you to have a right relationship with him and he wants you to have a right relationship with your stuff. And so what does a loving, perfect father do? He corrects, he disciplines. And why does he do it? Because he loves you. And not only does he love you, listen to the last verse in that. He loves you enough and he delights in you. So the God that loves you and delights in you won't let you just continue to walk down a path of lies. He won't continue to allow you to have broken relationships with him, with the world, and with things. You don't want that anyway. If you're really honest, you want a God that steps in and says, Listen, Trev, I love you so much and I delight in you so much that I don't want you to walk down this path of lies. I don't want you to believe this garbage. I don't want you to exist in this way. I don't want things and stuff and fear and anxiety to rule and run your life. I am your loving Father and I will correct you. You're broken. It's okay, but let me heal you. Let me point it out. Let me rebuke you. And sometimes those rebukes from a loving father are hard. For any of you that have ever been disciplined by your dad or your mom or have been at a place where your parents were disappointed in you, hearing those things is hard. We don't want to hear them because we don't want to believe that we have a broken part of our life that needs exposing. But that's what we should desire as believers. Why? Because we're not afraid of God. I'm not afraid in terms of fear like God is trying to punish me or hurt me or God wants to destroy me or take all the good things away. That's the enemy telling you lies. A God who disciplines and a God who rebukes is a God who actually loves you and wants you to walk in a correct path. It's the God of the parable of the lost sheep. What does that sheep do? That sheep wanders, it goes off, it takes off. The father leaves or the shepherd leaves the 99, finds the sheep, and when he finds the sheep, you know what he does? He doesn't kick the sheep and say, you stupid animal. Why did you walk away? You're an idiot. In fact, no more grass for you. From now on, you eat rocks, right? And then he drags it by one leg back, throws it in the house and says, you worthless sheep. No, 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 no. That'd be a terrible parable. What does he do? Scoops the sheep up. The parable says that he carries the sheep home and he calls everyone that he knows. And they throw a giant feast. See, God doesn't want to discipline to embarrass you or rebuke you or take all the things from you, which is why we hoard material things, because we're afraid God's going to take them all. It's a broken relationship with him and with stuff. God doesn't want you to wander. You know why? Because wandering out there is treacherous. 
there are cliffs and there are snags and there are bears and there are wolves and the entire world is waiting to devour you. And God says, I want you here close to my voice so that not only I can protect you, but I can lead you to great, beautiful places, valleys that overflow with grass and streams that run with living water. Like I have so much for you. I don't want you to waste your time chasing these things. And sometimes that discipline is hard because we want our way. And God says, look, you don't want me to leave you to your own devices. I begin to think sometimes about my life and what if God just released me to my own way, my own desires, and I get really afraid because I know where I lead myself. Honoring the Lord means that we have this right relationship with material things. It also means that we have this right relationship with the loving Heavenly Father. Don't be afraid of God's correction. In fact, I dare you to pray for it. God, please correct me if you need to because I trust you as Father. I trust you to not embarrass me, ridicule me, strip me, but I trust you to rebuke me in a way that I need. Why? Because you delight in me. Have you ever really thought about that? That the God of the universe delights in you and your ridiculous, broken, messed up, selfish life. He delights in you. And all the ways that you have failed and all the things that you have done that no one knows about, all the things that you have hidden in the darkest, blackest areas of your heart, God, creator, still delights in you. Man, I want that father to teach me. I want him to discipline me because I know what he's going to do is to lead me into a place of beauty. So honoring the Lord means that I trust him as my heavenly father. The third thing that we see is honoring the Lord means essentially that, God, I desire what you desire. Look at those next few verses. Let's look at verse, verse 13 first. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. So when I say ble- that... that um, when I say that honoring the Lord means that I desire the things that God desires, it begs the question, what does God desire? Well, verse 13 tells us, God desires or blessed is the man or the woman who finds wisdom. God wants us to find wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is living in a right relationship with God and with his created order. God wants you to have a harmonious relationship with him. He wants your heart to be in harmony with his. That's his desire. He wants you to find that wisdom. That's the definition we are working with. God's deepest desire for you is that you would have a life that desired him. That you would desire the things of God. Well, what are those? And what do they bring about? Like, what does that life bring about? Listen to what he says. There's a couple of them in there. First is that the wisdom, right, that we're called to desire and want, this harmony we're called to desire and want, for she, and, and, and it's such an incredible thing that, that Solomon does here, but he paints wisdom as lady wisdom. He calls her she, gives her this persona. But she, that's wisdom. That's the life that wants to be in harmony with God and his created order. But she is more profitable than silver, and she is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare to her. What that means is that a life that is beating in harmony with God is more precious than anything this world has to offer. And, the, and he lists off those things. It's more precious than gold. It's got a better return. Better return on investment than even gold. It's more precious than rubies. Nothing in this world compares to a life that is beating in harmony with the heartbeat of God. Which is pretty remarkable, right? 
Like, this life that God wants to lead you to and correct your heart to follow is more precious than all the things that you are chasing. If you're chasing material wealth, if you're chasing gold and silver and substitute whatever you want there, right? Status, fame, place in your work, acceptance, whatever it is. If you're chasing those things, everything about a life that is in harmony with God is better than those. It's more precious than those. The greatest thing that this world has to offer, God's heartbeat for you is better than that. It reminds me of that Psalm 63.3, which is one of my favorite kind of pictures. David's lost in the wilderness. He's being chased by his enemies. He's dry. He's in the desert. He's crying out for water. He basically says, Psalm 63.1-3, he says, Look, I'm in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I'm dying. But I remember you in your sanctuary. I beheld your power and glory. And then in 63.3, he says this, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So here's David on the very kind of throes of his death. And he's reminding himself, he's going, the best that life has to offer, God's love is better than that. Have you ever been fulfilled by seizing something material? Has it ever filled your soul and you said, man, life is just so perfect now? No, it's always something else. It's never enough. We tell ourselves all the time, if I could just do this, then I could rest. And the problem is we get there and we don't rest because it's not enough. Not one of us in this room would ever say that we are rich. Ever. Why? Because there is always someone else that is richer. But the reality is, is that if you make more than $32,000 a year, you are in the top half of the percent of the population of the entire world. That is true. The entire world. Half a percent of people. Who defines wealth? Right? Essentially, what our author is saying here is that you can chase it for your entire life and you will be empty. Be empty. A relationship that beats in harmony with God is better than anything this world has to offer. Listen to what else it goes on to say. It goes on to say this in verse uh, 14 and 15. Okay, so 14, more profitable than silver, um, better returns than gold, more precious than rubies. Look at verse 17. Her ways, Lady Wisdom's ways, are pleasant ways and they are paths of peace. So a life that beats in harmony with God, with the heartbeat of God, is a life of, that is pleasant and a life that is peaceful. If I ask you to describe your life in two words right now, if I said, everybody, take out a pen, and on a piece of paper, I want you to write two words that describe your life. I'm betting with all of my heart that not one person in here would write the words pleasant and peaceful. Is that how you describe your life? But this is what God desires you to be able to describe your life as. Because a life that beats in harmony with his is one that's pleasant. And think about that word. It just means that it is, it is content and joyful. And it's peaceful. It's peaceful. You know that word peaceful in the Hebrew is, comes from the word shalom. And the word shalom we see it all the time kind of used even now in, in Jewish circles as being this sort of greeting, like it means peace, like peace. But it doesn't really mean peace. It actually means peace and all the blessings of God's grace upon you. That's kind of what shalom means. When you actually greet someone with it and you say shalom, basically what that means is that may you have peace and all the blessings of God's grace. And this is the incredible thing for the believer, right? Like these are the incredible promises of peace. 
Peace is not just being free of conflict in your home or being free of conflict in your life or being free of conflict internally. Peace is actually the idea of being at a place where all of God's blessings of his grace are upon you and you have right relationship with him and with the created order around him, meaning you have the right relationship with people and right relationship with God. This is what a life that beats in harmony with the heartbeat of God is promised. It's promised peace. The reason that you don't have peace is because you're not allowing your heartbeat to beat in harmony with God. You are fighting the system, his system. Because a life that is marked by wisdom is marked by peace, and it's marked by being pleasant, being joyfully content. If you're not in those things, I would ask yourselves, are you honoring, ask yourself, are you honoring the way of the Lord? Are you giving God the place of prominence in your life? Do you have a right relationship with him and with his created order? Well, the chances are no, right? God's promise is that he is better than life, that he is better than all this world can give you and offer you, better than all the material things, and that life leads to peace and being pleasant or being joyfully content. The third thing it offers there is this comes in that next following verse. Verse 17 says, His ways are pleasant ways, and in her paths, the ways of wisdom, are paths of peace. Listen to verse 18. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and to those who hold her will be blessed. So that wisdom, again, Lady Wisdom, that wisdom that says, my life beats in harmony with the heartbeat of God, right? That she is life-giving, and she is a blessing. That life is life-giving. And he uses the term tree of life. So for those biblical scholars in here, you'll recognize immediately that that takes us back to the garden, right? Remember the tree of life of the garden? You know what that tree was? It was a life, it was a tree that produced life, an abundant life with a relationship with the Father. That was the tree of life. It wasn't just about eternal life. It was about having a right relationship with the Father. And you could eat of it freely in the garden. It was for you, it was created for us that we were called to have this relationship with God where we had this abundant life here on earth, this promise of eternal life, and we found deep and true contentment there. And then sin entered the picture when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right, and blew up our harmony. That's where harmony shattered with God when sin entered the picture. And Christ has come to right our hearts back with God to reconcile creation back to the heartbeat of God. That's the whole movement of the gospel, that Christ came to reconcile the disharmony to bring us back to harmony. And that life, that harmonious life, that life that says, God, I want my heart to beat with yours, is promised to return us to the tree of life, this right relationship with God. And that right relationship with God, what does he say it is? He says it will be a blessing. It'll be a blessing. Verse 18, she's a tree of life, for you embrace her, right? And those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Lay hold of her means that those who seize that thing, that, that harmonious, deep relationship with the Lord, those that seize it. Think about the idea of seizing, like grasping and holding and never letting go, like I've seized this moment, it's mine. Those people will be blessed. What does that blessing mean? God's going to shower upon them lottery tickets while they sleep? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Blessing means that I will see the fruit of the relationship of contentment with God. I'll be blessed. It's that peace that says, I don't care what life brings, struggle, 
frustration, anxiety, worry. I am at peace in my relationship with the Lord. The world can take nothing from me, right? God has rescued me and he has redeemed me. What can man do to me? That is the blessing of what it means to be alive in Christ. When this world goes over the edge, when this world threatens to rise up, when things don't seem to go our way, instead of hitting the panic button and freaking out, we trust that God is a God who has a desire for us to trust him as holy, almighty, righteous, and perfect father who loves and rebukes and is drawing us into this tree of life, drawing us into a life of blessing, a life of blessing us and blessing those around us because God wants to lavish you with his peace and his joyful contentment. The blessing of the Lord are those things, peace and joyful contentment, of which there is no comparison. No ruby, no gold, no silver. Nothing holds a candle to the peace and joyful contentment in Christ, which is the promise for those that allow their hearts to honor the way of the Lord. So why should we do all this, right? Look at the last verse, and we'll wrap everything up with this. The last verse is, why is all this important? Why would we even decide that we're going to trust God this way in the first place? Well, the author says this. Here's the easy answer, right? He says this, by wisdom, verse 19, the Lord has laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he has set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the depths were divided and the clouds let the drops of dew down. What he's basically saying is, the reason you do this is because he is God. He is God. He is in all, he has made all, and he is through all. Think about the power in those verses. By his own wisdom, the Lord created the foundations of the earth. And what are you afraid of? What is seizing your life with anxiety? What's going to happen tomorrow? This is the God who out of nothing made something, made the foundations of the earth. By his understanding, he set the heavens in place. And you're worried that God doesn't know what you're dealing with. You're afraid he doesn't understand the depths of your struggles. By his own understanding, he created the very heavens all the stars in the universe. God understands you. And then finally he says this, that that knowledge that he has divided the deeps, created the oceans and the sky, and let the rain fall from the clouds. The mysterious beauty of creation and of the human body is so beyond our understanding, and yet it's such a tiny part of what God has done by his glorious wisdom. And we're afraid that God's going to let us starve tomorrow. We're afraid that God's going to take all of our things. And God says, you're holding on to the tiniest corner of the smallest, most insignificant thing, and you're afraid I'm going to take it from you when I want to lavish you with so much more than you can imagine. Peace and contentment and joy in every circumstance. By my wisdom, by my understanding, by my heartbeat, I formed the foundations of the earth. I made the rain fall. I created the oceans and every living creature in it. I knit you together. I breathe life into your lungs. I know every single hair on your head. Why won't you trust me? A person that honors the Lord trusts that God fully. And a person who truly honors the Lord, right, says, God, I want what you want.
I desire what you desire because you are my perfect heavenly father. All my things are yours. You get the first and you get the best. And I fully put you at the helm of my life in your right space. You are God. You are creator. And I trust you. It's a great struggle of our Christian life to truly believe that God is all those things. But that's what he calls us to. The picture that we have been given in Christ is a, is a picture of God's redeeming, delightful love. Like God loved you so much and delighted in you so much that he sent this incredible, tangible piece of himself, fully himself, to redeem this world. That's what he did. And that table that we celebrate here is that picture of that. Communion is the picture of God's delighting, tangible, beautiful love. If we've ever wondered what it looks like, it looks like this. Christ poured himself out so that we could see that God delights in you. It's hard to understand sometimes because I don't feel much like I should be delighted in. But the truth is, that's how much our Father delights in us. That when we are undelightable, God, God says we are. And so how did he demonstrate that? Well, he sent his son, Jesus, to give us this full demonstration of his incredible, extravagant, amazing love. And so when we celebrate communion, that's exactly what we're doing. We're celebrating God's delightful, extravagant, incredible love. And we're saying, God, you get a place of honor in my life because I trust you and I want to have a right relationship with you. I want my heart to beat in harmony with yours. And this table is the picture of why. Because you loved me this much. You delighted in me this much. On that very night that he was betrayed, the night that all the people that Jesus cared for and loved and spent time with would desert him and flee from him. That very night that he sat around the table and they shared the Passover meal, when all that was over, he gathered with them and he reclined at the table. And he gave thanks and he took this loaf of bread and he said, this is my body and it's been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Alluding to something that the disciples had not yet even seen or understand, but something that would become this unifying factor to every believer across space and times for millennia. After he'd taken the bread, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant poured out for you. That as long as you take of this bread and this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We are proclaiming the extravagant, beautiful, redeeming nature of a God who delights in you. That's what this table is. It's not a habit. It's not a Christian ritual. It's an expression of God's delightful love. And as people that trust him, we want to give him that place of honor. And therefore, we take this as he asks us to seriously. We take this table seriously the same way that we take the word of God seriously and worship seriously because God deserves that place in our life, place of honor. So as Paul tells us that we should examine our hearts. We should confess our sin. We should lay our hearts bare before God before we engage in this meal together. And so we invite you to do that. It's not a denominational table. It's open to every one of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ. We take communion by means of intinction, which is a fancy word that says when you come down front or in the back, there'll be a station in both places. Take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup, and you can eat after that. Return to your seat. We invite you to stand and continue worship with us as Don and our worship team lead us in worship. If you need gluten-free options, we'll have those down on the front side down here for you to, to do that. You can jump in line and just, just let us know. But this is the table. Let's pray together as our elders come forward this morning. 
Lord, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in this place. We thank you, God, that you are a God who redeems and a God who creates and a God who invites, that you are a God who draws us into your presence and a God who invites us into this delightful picture of love. The communion is that extravagant, incredible, delightful, amazing picture of love. And Lord, we ask that what we would do this morning is engage in that beautiful, beautiful story. We ask, Lord, that you would remind us of your extravagant, graceful, powerful love as we celebrate this meal together. So we invite you as you feel led and called to come down and share in this meal together and then remain standing as we close our time in worship. But God, we pray that these things would be true, that we would trust you and that we would honor you and that we would pursue wisdom, pursue a life where our heart beats in harmony with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's share in this meal together and then continue in worship this morning. Yeah. 
mysterious tree on that beautiful scandalous night you and me were adorned by his blood and forever washed white on that beautiful scandalous Lord, we thank you for the joy and privilege of gathering in this place and celebrating this meal. We thank you, Lord, for the invitation that you give us as, as broken people, people that have fallen, made mistakes, continue to do so, that you are a redeeming God who loves and desires us and has this heart to have this right relationship with us. And Lord, where you desire us to know you and know your very heartbeat, you invite us into that. You delight in your children. Lord, we thank you for the way that you care and redeem us. We thank you, Lord, that this is the great picture of your love poured out through a relationship with Jesus Christ by which you write the world to you. You reconcile creation and created order to you. And so, Lord, as we close our time in worship, may you be glorified and exalted. May you get our first and our best. May we release our hearts to you as heavenly Father. May we desire what you desire, for you are our King eternal. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. Amen.
I want to remind you of. One, we would love for you to come this Friday and Saturday. I get it's going to be a challenge. Child care is an issue. $25 is an issue. All those things. But it's worth it. Take the step and just invest in your marriage a little bit and show up. Sign up out there so we don't have stuff for you. But put your name on it before you walk out. Take this with you. It's going to be worth it. I promise you. Friday and Saturday. Make that commitment. Do that. And then finally, uh, for those of you that are part of our family, part of our, uh, our member or regular attender, we're inviting you to take these pledge cards. This is how we as a church begin to think about what we're going to do in 2024. It matters to us. Plus, I think it's important to you and you and your family as y'all sit down and say, what do we believe God's calling us to? How do we give him our first and our best? We invite you to bring these back next week. As part of our worship, we're going to have an opportunity to honor the Lord, to drop these off, to give them to him and make them a part of our worship expression. So take those with you, but go from this place, empowered by the Holy Spirit, believing these things, that the wise trust in the way of the Lord and the wise honor the way of the Lord. God, we believe in who you are. You get the first and the best. You are our heavenly Father, and we desire what you desire. Go in peace.